so I've been going through some saints, and it's wonderful to have St. Andrew. It fits in so nicely. And I've been describing how each of them is, in, in a way, an exemplar of, of the kingdom of God, of the church. If you remember, we began on t last Tuesday with Eberhard Arnold and this understanding of coming together and a commitment to one another. And then Mac M uh, Miguel Pro, the Lordship of Christ, John Lafarge on equality, Isaac Watts on singing, Sojourner Truth, that not many are called who are powerful, the weak things of this world. Yesterday, Dorothy Day, our commitment to the poor. But all of this is built on, on something very important. We're told where it's built on the apostles and the prophets. And we've got a wonderful apostle today, uh, Andrews, his uh, feast day. So that's beautiful that it fits in so nicely. When I planned this, I didn't really think about that. But today is the anniversary of his death in tradition. So this is how I've been choosing those particular notable Christians. So it's around... Um, 26 or 27 uh, AD, Jesus is 30 years old or so. He's about to begin his public ministry. And John's been calling for repentance, and then he's been baptizing people in the Jordan River in preparation, of course, for the coming of the Christ. And then imagine Jesus uh, approaching the Jordan, right where John and the townspeople are. And there's lots of hope in the air and anticipation. The people can't help... Uh, sense that somehow God is speaking powerfully after so many hundreds of years of silence in this strange prophet. You can read all about that in Luke chapter 3 and that description of Jesus' baptism and the beginning of his ministry. In John's gospel, we learn that John uh, tells us that Andrew had been a follower of this strange prophet before he met Jesus. So that says something interesting about Andrew. He'd been a follower of John. He was the first, then, apostle to follow Jesus, according to John's Gospel. So today we're giving thanks. It's Andrew who's the first apostle, the first one to say yes. And he introduces, of course, his brother, uh, Simon Peter. To be a follower, then, you think about it, of, of the Baptist was significant because John wasn't very comfortable to live with. He said it as it was. Um, a lot of preachers, you know this expression, giving itchy ears, they like to say what people want to hear. John wasn't like that. So Andrew can't have been like that, to have been a follower of John. We can see from this that he's independent and he's courageous. So back to our reading. In our reading from Matthew, we heard about the calling of the first disciple. And Andrew's among these. And when you look at lists in the Gospels of the disciples, it's always given of lists, groups of four. Andrew's always in the top four. He's always there with the sons of Zebedee and Simon Peter. So he's not only independent and courageous, he's significant. He's one of the significant apostles then. And his name in Greek might give us a clue, though I'm not sure about that, but he's given this name. I don't know if any of you have ever watched The Little House on the Prairie. Do you remember manly? Well, that's what Andrew means in Greek. Manly. He's manly. He's a man's man. He's a tough guy. He's a fisherman. He's a bloke. He's a mate. You know, he's somebody, he's, somebody, he's good. He's a follower of John the Baptist. He's manly, tough, courageous. So he's independent, he's uh, responsive and courageous. And he's, and he's a good bloke. The passage in John's Gospel, which describes Andrew's first encounter, tells us 
that what Andrew says to, to somebody, we have found the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So he's not only courageous and independent, he's, he's an evangelist. He's generous and open, and he wanted to share. We encounter again later in John's Gospel, in chapter 6, one of the feeding of the, of the multitudes. And Andrew it is who brings a little boy to Jesus. So what's, he, what's that say about him? Every time he's mentioned on his own, he's bringing someone to Jesus, whether it's Simon Peter or whether it's a little boy or another chapter, another, in John 12, he brings some Greeks. He's always bringing people to Jesus. So that's important. He's, he's certainly an evangelist. Um, unfortunately, like all the apostles, he appears to have abandoned Jesus at the end. I was talking to someone about that. And you think about that. Three years with Christ. Three years. And then, and then the crucifixion and everything going wrong. And then to going off and, and fleeing. It's extraordinary. And I want to say something about that. He, he seems like the rest who have abandoned Jesus after he was arrested. But he returned. That's the point. All of us have doubts, all of us make mistakes, but you can return. He returned, and he's listed in Acts of one of those there, those frightened disciples with the door shut. And that's something significant that happens. And this is what I want to say. This is what I want to say to you. Dear people, you know you've heard the expression, the Eucharist makes the church. You've heard it, haven't you? Well, I want to say something else. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the church. We're in Advent, and I talked uh, on Sunday about the first Advent, the coming of Jesus, and the second Advent, the coming in the future. And Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We're in the season of the Holy Spirit. So what makes the church? The Holy Spirit makes the church. Of course, Holy Spirit's behind the sacraments and everything we do, but it is the Holy Spirit. So I want us to think about that. I've talked about other saints and what they bring, but that's what he brings. Just a little bit now, just to conclude. Carol asked me at the beginning, uh, why, why is, uh, is St. Andrews in Scotland? How did he end up there? So I'll just briefly tell you. So he traveled to Scythia, uh, Cappadocia, Bithynia, was the first uh, to take um, Christianity to the Muscovites and Sarmatia. I, I was talking to someone about this. Good Lord, you think about this. You grow up in, in Galilee. That's your world. And because of the Spirit, it drives you out into the most extraordinary places. I mean, how did he manage? How did he manage? You, some of you will be first-generation migrants to Australia. You know the trauma of losing culture, language, the familiar, even food, and friends and family. It's huge, isn't it? It's not just easy. But he's been driving by the Spirit to all sorts of extraordinary places he'd never heard of. It's absolutely wonderful. So he went to those places. He gets to Acacia, and the wife of the proconsul at Patras was one of, one of his converts. Um, this angered the husband so much, he ordered Andrew to be crucified and in, on the shape of a cross, um, which, is about, which is associated with his name, the St. Andrew's Cross, um, which, of course, is, is Scottish. It was X-shaped. Um, because he protested he was unworthy to be executed on the same cross as Christ, rather like Peter, who got crucified upside down. Andrew's doing the same, and he gets into a different sort of cross. And he's tied to that, and he takes two days to die. But while he's there, he's preaching. 
But how did he get? Legend connects him, of course, to Russia. We actually think he got to Kiev. So think about Kiev and all the in Ukraine now. Did he? Who knows? But it's all a wonderful. Why Scotland then for Carol? In the fourth century, the guardian of the relics, which were then at all of the relics were at Patras, was told in a dream to take part of them, part of the relics, part of the bones, to a place he would be shown. So he ends up in Scotland, in St Andrews, and, and the bones are there, which is why St Andrews has, is associated with him, Carol. Carol's brought some tartan, by the way. Um, is it your tartan, Carol? It's just random, it's tartan. So it's Scottish, so we can give thanks for St Andrews. He's associated with there. Um, the rest of the alleged relics taken from Constantinople by the Crusaders on one of their unfortunate experiences in Constantinople in 1210 and taken to the cathedral and the leaf near Naples. And then Pope Pius II transferred the head to Peter's Rome. Relics are very interesting, aren't they? I've got a relic in my pocket that I'll show you after over tea. It's a relic of one of the apostles. I'm carrying it with me now. Not St. Andrew's, but someone gave me a precious relic, and I thought I'd bring it today. It's the only relic I've got of an apostle. But who else has got a relic of an apostle? Um, so uh, so that's, I'll show you. It's quite, quite beautiful. What can we learn from him, just to finish? Be courageous. Be independent. Be brave. Be trusting. And be prepared to go places that you wouldn't expect to go otherwise. Amen. Amen. Oh,